Clear. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really noise. good background noise yeah right. this is this is the best seat in the house that's right we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got sky riders now. now does that say you cap i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> and you're in sight clear left turkey central ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and delta is a touch and how much is a pinch well if i could reach that far you'd find out <laughs> it's a bit more than a dash right no a bit less than a dash dash yeah dash and a pinch let's see you could put a pinch in your gum so listen here's the deal just, just a pinch between your cheek and gum it. Here's the deal. Uh, everybody keeps telling me, everybody's encouraging me. I mean, and they're right. I should buy an airplane someday, and dun, 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 dun. I hopefully will. All right. But it suddenly occurs to me from reading the news that I need to check and find out whether maybe I own an airplane and have forgotten about it. All right. Did you see this? <laughs> Did you see this story? This is a guy who, uh, who, uh, let's see now. Uh, where is it here? Hold on, it's coming up in my browser right now. Uh, a man told police plane stolen two years ago. Apparently what happened was this guy marched into the sheriff's office recently and said that his 1955 Cessna 310 had been stolen about two years ago. And when the police said, why, you know, why didn't you tell us two years ago? He said, well, I didn't really, hadn't really looked at it in two years. It's just been buried in the hangar. And, uh, and so he apparently forgot that he had an airplane and, and, the and, Bates way of telling you that you should have either sold the airplane or you need to get out to the airport more often. Yeah. So, so you saw this story. I mean, how, how, well, I guess. So this guy just apparently owns a whole bunch. I don't know. He'll, there, there are people who own too many airplanes and forget that they have them. Never go look at them. How could you do that? I, I'm, I'm going to defer uh, discussion. That, that's kind of an interesting question, given someone is sitting at the table with us tonight. Well, I know. Lee, you own a couple of airplanes that are stashed away in odd places here and there. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually in a 1955 X-Greyhound Scenic Cruiser, too. And that's right. You've got buses all over yeah, America. I'm wondering if it, one of those might not be subject for a news story here by and by as well. But, uh, <laughs> You know, the way things have been going of late. But, yeah, I do, actually. What airplanes do you have stashed around America? Um, let's see. Cessna 150 in pieces. Yeah. Clinton, Maryland. 1951 C-35 Bonanza, Manassas, Virginia. And of late, 1964 or 5, Cherokee PA-28-180 at uh, Middletown, Delaware. Now, have you checked on them recently? You know they're still there. <laughs> All but the Cessna. Don't know about the Cessna. <laughs> okay. the, Bonanza, the Bonanza and the Cherokee are accounted for. The Cherokee actually was accounted for as recently as uh, this past Friday. Uh-huh. Okay. So, oh. Hey, how many of them are in annual? Um, give us give us a couple minutes. We'll we'll fix that. None of the above. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. You got a pen? They're, they're, they're still Any here, of them for sale? Still, they're still here in the year 2011, so I guess uh, in this annual, yes, they're here. Are they? He asked if any of them are for sale. Oh, yeah, everything's for sale. 
Well, there you go. Okay. Yeah. Let's make a deal. Yeah. All right. right. All right, listeners, there's your man. There's a man with more airplanes that he can fly at once, and they're not even in the same place. So he could. Oh, huh? That's right. <clears throat> three, air, three airplanes and the buses, too, for that matter. 1953 GMC 4104 and 1955 GMC Scenic Cruiser. Now, now what's the plan for these buses? Well, I think the Scenic Cruiser I'm going to sell because. Now, that's the one that's still out west. That's the one that's in California uh-huh. uh, with diesel fuel. North of 350 a gallon and and showing no signs of coming back down again. I think the Cena Cruiser is, I don't think the Cena Cruiser is a viable proposition anymore. Kind of like, uh, kind of like having a turbine twin, these days. And uh, the 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 4104 is much more economical for fuel. Yeah. So okay. I think I think that's the the short answer well, on the just, buses. Just just thinking of the round robin you you could have there. Uh, you fly the 150 to where. The 35 is by the 35 to where the 28 is by the. I like it. To it's, where the 150 started. Isn't that what they call a poker run? I don't know. What's a poker run? It's only if you're collecting cards on the way. But right, just right. think, you, you get a little exercise for every airplane. In every airplane, we get to hang around some different scenery for a while. Well, I think actually a scavenger hunt would be better. We'll just collect a bunch of parts and we'll build ourselves another airplane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I sometimes do that with motorcycles, actually. Yeah, I know. <laughs> How many times in the last five years have you moved all these motorcycles? Oh, man, let's not get personal. Yeah, I know, right. Huh? <laughs> um, or times that he's moved the airplane. Basically, I, I've moved this airplane from hangar to hangar to hangar more times than I've moved the bikes. But uh, uh, one, two, three, three times in four years. Man, I, yeah. yeah, okay. And, but that's it for a while. And I call myself a nomad. You, you just, uh, but you're settled now. You're I'm, here for well next twenty years. Yeah, you not know, really. Me and the, me and the bank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, no, I don't know about twenty years. Uh, um, I'm actually kind of on a five year plan. But uh, um, yeah, this is it for a while. But only one airplane. Yeah, and, and at the end of the five year plan here, that might be on the on the blocks. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. By the way, Jeb, your little friends are over here by the edge of the woods. You see them over there? Oh, now I see. I haven't seen them in weeks. Yeah, the deer are over there. Yeah. 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 Um, the other big story of the week here is uh, this is the, I think I'm going to characterize this as the latest new introduction in uh, next gen high technology for pilots. Um, they're going to put vibrating cockpit seats. I don't know. This is just too... Excuse me? Yeah, I, I know. There's just too many possibilities here. The mind boggles. I mean, in the airplane, this is uh, something Boeing has floated to the airlines as a way to combat cockpit fatigue, which the airlines say doesn't exist and isn't a problem. But Boeing says, that's great. We have a solution for that. Well, here's... Isn't isn't a vibrating seat kind of like antithetical to preventing drowsy pilots? Well, you think it'll you know, it'll, it'll, it'll 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 you know kind of nod them off to sleep? I mean, are we talking magic fingers here, or are we talking cattle prod? I think yeah. we're talking more along the lines of a a, a cattle prod to the nether Netherlands uh-huh. uh, that's supposed to come on. What triggers it is when the flight management system sees that you've reached the top of the letdown profile that, that, that it's got in its program. And he, he, I can see this on, you know, GA air. So this is just time-based. It's not based on any symptoms that you're showing. No, not based on any symptoms. It's uh, the GPS 
and uh, the the, the uh, air data computer all concur that with what they know about conditions and position, this is where you start down. Well, well, God bless them. Once again, they're adding 1950s technology to the airline cockpit. Well, it, I mean, they're talking about cars these days that have like eye scanning things to see whether or not you're not enough to sleep, and and will wake you up. They couldn't go with that way with that kind of technology. No, they well, just have to have a. Timer. There's already audible alarms in most of these airplanes for such an event. When the airplane reaches the letdown point, exactly. I, I was I was going to say there's always you know, and plus there's already two devices in the airplane that that would help make that determination. One is a pilot, and the <laughs> other is a clock. Yeah, well, can't trust those pilots. Uh, I, uh, I, you know, it it, it it intrigues me that this offer, uh, this uh, uh, idea from Boeing, which. You know, when you think about the sophistication already in the flight deck of these airplanes, adding a trigger to a mechanical vibrator is, cannot be that complicated in the great scheme of things. No, no. But I guess... But, but the fact that they feel it necessary at a time when the FAA is getting beaten from both sides about yeah, uh, flight data... Uh, flight well, and, right. And now, we've all heard of security theater. This is safety theater. You know, we're just, we're just, there, there's a reason there's an old joke about the autopilot, the pilot, and the dog, okay? And th- this, we should just be getting dogs and putting them in the cockpit. And if we train them correctly, they'll be anti-terrorism dogs, too. <laughs> so, well, there you go. So why do we need, you know, all we need is a dog handler and some, and some kibble and a kennel. And we don't need all this fancy chair and computer and buzzer stuff, cattle prod, whatever. We don't need any of that. And then let's not forget the pony and things will be truly complete. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and in fairness to the idea that we have seen instances where pilots didn't sleep through the letdown point, they were busy working on their computers with their flight scheduling or, yeah. you know, I, I don't know, instead of tra- day trading in the cockpit, whatever, uh, and went past the letdown point, sometimes for a long time. So uh, maybe the airlines are right. Maybe there isn't any fatigue problems in, in, in the flight deck. But this is a good way to make sure that they wake up from their computers. Get a dog. <laughs> Welcome, Ow. folks. Wow. Welcome, folks, to episode 225 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. Recording this episode on, uh, let's see if I've got this right. It's Tuesday evening, February 22nd, right? Yeah, February 22nd, 2011. And uh, once again, we're back in a, in a really cool version of the uh, virtual hangar. Uh, let me say hi to my friends here and uh, at a great batch of friends as we first of all, Dave Higdon's out there. He's joining us from Wichita, Kansas. Hey, David, how you doing? Doing wonderful. Finer and frog hair. Yeah. What is that? You know, you say that all the time. I'm not sure what that means exactly. Is that a good thing? Finer than... Well, have you ever seen how fine frog hair is? Oh, finer than frog hair. Oh, I get it. Well, then it's not really a statement about your state of mind and happiness. It's more some sort second of... Day, it's, second it's, day growth. It's a dermatolo- dermatological problem. Yeah, I was going to say. It has something to do with size. Um, okay. Uh, well, I'm glad you're doing well. What's the temperature been like? You said it was like uh, 100 degrees there when I talked to you earlier. No, that's not what you uh, said. What did you say? actually said a couple of days ago it was in the 70s, and we had a, a week between two Tuesdays where the temperature difference was 94 degrees. Yeah, hey. Minus 17, do Welcome the math. to America in the early 21st century, huh? Yeah, and, uh, yeah. but, you know, today was lovely. actually saw some production flight test uh, traffic in the airspace over my house. And, uh-huh. uh, yeah. Did you... Did you get up in the Taylorcraft? Last time we talked, you were thinking maybe you were going to get a chance to get up in the Taylorcraft again. Did you? 
Uh, well, we tried to work it out, but my uh, my friend and fellow club member and, and would-be CFI was traveling on business, so we weren't able to pin it down. Yeah, hate it when that happens. But uh, the weekend weather coming up is looking pretty good, and if he gets back on schedule, I may just bail out in the middle of the day and do it. There you so. go. There you go. I mean, it's not like you've got a real job, David. Come on. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. Gainful also, unemployed. Yeah. Also here in the virtual hangar is Jeb Burnside, talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How you doing? I'm just about as fine as frog, uh, frog fur, frog <laughs> hair, all that, too. Easy to say. <laughs> yeah, really. So, um, no, I'm fine. It's a um, lazy week. Uh, um, got some good friends around and uh, been some great weather here. Uh, getting a few things accomplished, all is good. Yeah, and why don't you introduce us to your friend? I, I will. Um, we've we've uh, we have a guest tonight. Uh, first time on the podcast. Um, uh, first time in person. Anyway, we've we've uh, talked about uh, this gentleman on on occasion. Um, may I present Lee Steichleather, the man in black, the satanic mechanic. <laughs> Hi, Lee. How you doing? You break them, we fix them. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you fix them and then they break them. And, yeah, and then sometimes we fix them again. So. And, and sometimes we try to fix them and we break them. Yeah, um, but, uh, but, uh, we usually stick with it till we get them to work yeah, anyway. Yeah, that's right. So you've been wandering all around the eastern half of the United States lately, uh, What doing a lot of family business, I guess. And, yes. Uh, you've been playing with airplanes while you were up there? Well, just the Cherokee that I just bought. And I just went to check it over and see what I'm going to need. It's a... It's an extremely original airplane. It's um, one, of, one of the first 180-horse uh, PA-28s, and uh, it is, it is, it's, it's, it's virtually a time capsule. The airplane's only got 2,200 total time. Get out. Uh, it is absolutely original. And, Get out. I mean, right That's down. like 50 years old, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's, got the, 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 it's got the original. Everything about the airplane's original. Um, it's got the original. It was it was IFR uh, back in the day, but it's it's you know straight Narco Mark 12 coffee grinders and old AN uh, vacuum wow. gauges and the whole nine yards. It's 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 a real time machine. It really is. Uh, also belonged to somebody that was uh, didn't have a lot of money to spend on it. The airplane's been hangered almost its whole life, but in a uh, environment uh, northern Delaware, so damp. So it's got you know some skin corrosion. Internally, it looks really good, though. Um, airplane hasn't flown since '87. Uh, really, the engine is oh, the engine Lord. is um, that's the original time on the original engine. That's the original engine that was shipped with the airframe. And the engine and, uh, survived that that long. Mm-hmm. Of well, a- in '87, the last work that was done on this airplane, they they actually pulled the cylinders and and cleaned them and installed some rings and basically uh, did an inspection, uh, condition inspection, returned it to service. Uh, the engine's free, and, and we're going to make an attempt to. Uh, I'm just going to basically try to get the airplane so that it can be ferried, uh, so that we can get it down here to Florida, and and then make a decision as to what we're going to do with it. Who would be crazy enough to fly that down here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you know how pilots are, mechanics. Are, I'm not going to fly it. But, you know, somebody else to do it. <laughs> so where is it? You say, is it in Delaware? Now? It's actually in Middletown, Delaware, which uh-huh. is yeah. uh, uh, north of Dover. Actually, it's uh, it's actually much closer to a to a really good aircraft junkyard than it is to here. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna that's gonna be a real temptation. <laughs> so, all kidding aside, what's the long term plan for it? Are you gonna fix it and sell it, or are you gonna fix it? And well, I don't know. The, the 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 one thing that that really does keep me from just breaking it for parts without hesitation is the low airframe time. I've got 
logbooks. I've got all the paperwork on it from day one. I've got all the original papers on it. Um, the airplane has no damage history whatsoever, with the exception of a, one uh, leading edge skin and a wingtip were replaced, so it was probably a fairly minor incident. Uh, tanks were resealed by Flightcraft in 76, so they've been dry. They've not been stored with fuel in them, so that's going to be a. That, that, I think the tanks are going to be the deal breaker on it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm willing to do you know the engine and, and upgrade instruments and stuff like that. The tanks are uh, last price I got on Cherokee tanks. I think they're running eleven and twelve hundred dollars a piece to have them resealed, and I can't do that work myself. So, mm-hmm. so that that kind of well, basically we got to uh, put some fuel in them and take a chance to see what they do. But they were done. Uh, it's never had auto fuel in it, and. Uh, the tanks have been stored dry, so they may be okay. Flightcraft mm-hmm. uh, did away with the original Piper sloshing sealer that was in the tanks. Mm-hmm. They all had problems with early on, and uh, they were resealed with uh, PRC, which is a you know two-part polysulfide compound that the airlines and the military uses for you know for its high-end stuff. Uh, the tanks may be okay. If the tanks are okay, we'll probably put the airplane back in service. Mm-hmm. So that's the plan. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and uh, before I forget, let me say that I am Jack Hodgson, and uh, I am once again poolside at Shaburnside uh, on the shores of beautiful Lake. I forget, Jeb. What do we call the lake? Do we have a name for it? No, we really haven't come up with a lake name. Uh, we, we've got a, a UCAP lagoon, and we've pretty much settled on the, the alligator's name as being Floorshine. Floorshine, I know. <laughs> the alligator that, by the way, we still have not seen. <laughs> <laughs> Please crack it up. Lee thinks that's amusing. I agree. Uh, <laughs> I just heard it before. That's all. I was thinking more along the lines of coach, but you know. <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, Mason, maybe. I don't yeah, know. yeah, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, uh, we really haven't come up with a with a name for the lake. We're we're still you know kind of interviewing applicants or or uh, something like that. Yeah. So, so you're working. You're making great progress. I snuck away for a couple of weeks and went back yeah, to the yeah. snowy north, but yeah. couldn't stay away. So I'm yeah. back down here again for a few days and um, zipping back and forth throughout this spring. Um, and and thank you, by the way, for letting me return. Oh, absolutely. Uh, because absolutely. <laughs> it's really cold up in New Hampshire, <laughs> and, um, and it's really not cold here. It was like 80 degrees here today, yeah. and uh, yeah. yeah, it was pretty beautiful. Anyways, Jack, uh, Jack, uh, just just to let you know that uh, uh, there's a thank you note from the uh, gas stations along I-95. I know. Yeah. Well, I, I I went by way of the airlines this time, but ah uh, oh, no. Yeah, but I'll be driving again the next time. So. Uh, Anyways, oh it, it was a bizarre day. I'll have to tell you, my trip down here, um, because, of course, I made it all in one day. There was no decompression of driving, you know, for two days. And uh, I, I got up in the morning in New Hampshire, where at the time it was not only snowing, but it was like 15 degrees Fahrenheit. And uh, I, I'm i not joking. I had to sit and think for a little while how I was going to dress for both New Hampshire and Orlando. And... Uh, uh, this, this, Lots this. of layers. I removed layers as I went. I made a, when the airplane arrived in Orlando, I'm not joking, I made a dash out of the airplane straight to a men's room where I went into one of the stalls and took off my thermal underwear. <laughs> Some people would misinterpret that. Yeah, okay. uh, but, but this just confirms my theory that, What's that? that airplanes are really weather modification machines. That's, boy, oh boy. You, you get in them, you close the door, manipulate controls for a couple hours, you open the door, the weather's changed. Yeah. Well, it sure was true the other day, uh, and uh, fortunately, it was changed in the right direction. About a week and a half from now, maybe not so much. So, anyways, I'm back down here, and uh, 
and and you've made some made some good progress on the place. You're getting the getting the well, lake all cleared one, out, one, one thing uh, at a time. Yeah, yeah. one thing uh, at a time. We were fantasizing a little bit earlier about how we're going to use the lake uh, once you get it all cleared out. Radio controlled gadgets of some sort. Radio controlled boats. We we actually, I, Lee and I were talking a moment ago that we actually need to get two radio controlled racing submarines. Ergo, we can actually try to ask women out to the house to watch the submarine races. <laughs> Got it out. I just took a drink of my beer almost. <laughs> what you need are some of those little foam-flying machines that you can race on the water and then pitch up and fly around and come back. And, and then, you, you know, if you drag a piece of thread with a piece of chicken tied to the back of it, I bet you an alligator will show up. <laughs> Funny you should say that. No, 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 no. We would never do that. No, that would we, probably be against the law. It is, it is very much against the law. We would never do that. David, you should be horsewhipped for having even... even <laughs> oh, that's right. You can't even, fish for even, alligators. Even putting that nefarious idea in my head. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Lee, so... Um, your dad lives down here someplace, is that right? My dad lives <clears throat> about 35 miles east of here in the house in which he was born 83 years ago. Wow, yeah. So he's an, he's an old-timer down here, and um, I've been down here all my life, in and out. He was career Army, and so we did a lot of traveling and lived all over the world, And uh, but this was always home. So yeah. So this, is, this has always been a familiar, uh, familiar turf for me, and... Uh, now, did you follow in his footsteps? Was he an airplane mechanic as well? No, or? he wasn't. He was um, it, it kind of skipped a generation. My grandfather, his father, ended up here after World War One. He was a World War One vet and uh, uh, went into the Air Corps after World War One and was stationed at Langley, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And uh, they shipped down here. His unit was shipped down here. There were two huge training bases near Arcadia. They were in existence during World War I, and they reopened them again for World War II. One of them was called Carlstrom Field, and one was called Door Field. And uh, they, were, they were classic, uh, laid out along the lines of World War I aerodromes, in that they were just one-mile square pieces of land with a windsock in the middle. Yeah, And they landed, okay. uh, they were primary fields during the war. They, they flew uh, uh, Stearmans here, PT-17s. And... Uh, so, at any rate, after World War I, my grandfather came down here, and um, he was, I've actually got a picture floating around somewhere of my grandfather in the cockpit in full, you know, Air Corps uh, regalia of a, I don't think it's a Jenny, it's a bigger airplane than a Jenny, I'm thinking a DH-4 or something along those lines, wow. some sort of biplane, I can't tell exactly from the picture what it is, and he was offered the choice of enlisting for another four years or getting out. He chose to get out. So that's how the family ended up here in this area. And then, of course, uh, my, uh, you know, my, my dad was born here along with his various siblings. Mm-hmm. So, but your dad, your, your father was also career military, wasn't he? But he was, my yeah. dad was career military. Actually, here again, another, another one of those wonderful twists of irony. The uh, local uh, National Guard outfit in Arcadia, which is where he lives, uh, was an anti-aircraft unit. So he's actually trained to shoot down airplanes, and I trained to fix them. So it's it's really kind well, it's of it's kind of a symbiotic thing. Full yeah. employment. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. There's there's a, there's, a, there's a bit of a of a statement there about our early relationship as well. So, <laughs> so uh, you kind of faded out there for a second. So that's okay. You still got us there, David. You can hear us. Got him now. Okay, good. Um, what's Arcadia like? I've never been over that airport. Sleepy. Sleepy, yeah, that'd be a good term for it. Uh, they, the, the city fathers over there have made a determined effort to uh, resist integration into the 20th century, much less the 21st. And uh, I guess if you're into that sort of thing, it worked out really well. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it's a it's a very <clears throat> it's just a very uh, it, it's it's almost timeless would be would be the yeah. term I would use to describe it. It has really I, I in some everything's changed of course in, in in our lifetimes 50 years or so but in many ways arcadia there's a lot of things that are very similar to what i remember from you know we were in and out of here a lot i never stayed here more than a week or two at a time mm-hmm. but I, but but those weeks or two at a time were spread out over the 50 years of my life and so as a result i can see the differences and i can also see how things have remained the same mm-hmm. so well the, the airport there is is just not busy at all in fact um when I first came down here, all the all the hangar space at airports I wanted to be were, were taken, and I was on waiting list. I managed to get a hangar over at Arcadia, and um, remember coming out of there one night. I'd landed after after the FBO had closed to the extent that the FBO was open, um, and um, secured the airplane in the hangar, and, and I, was, I was actually on a motorcycle and got on the motorcycle, and I couldn't get off the airport. The gate was locked. You were trapped. I was trapped. I had there was a phone number. I, I finally fumbled around in the dark and and whatnot, and, and found a phone number to call. And and uh, the guy gave me the the combination to unlock the padlock and get out of the airport. I'm like, okay, um, <clears throat> um, not looking for too much business here, are you folks? I guess not, huh? Yeah. So, well, welcome to the virtual hangar, Lee. I'm glad you finally had a chance yes. to join well, us. Thank you. Uh, it's nice. A pleasure to be here. Yeah. What's going on in aviation this week? Uh, there's a few things going on. Uh, um, it's uh, so, David. I found this uh, story, this link uh, that uh, Flight Designs, the makers of one of the most popular uh, light sport aircraft out there, is working on a on a four seater. I don't know. I was going to say a four seater version. I don't know if it's a version of the same airplane. Or no, no, you not, won't be able to call it that. Yeah. Uh, so it's a. But does Flight Designs do? Other airplanes, you know, prior to doing their uh, LSA? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, I'm not as familiar with them back before the light sport period uh, as since then, but flight design has, uh, under various periods, manufactured two seat experimental and single seat ultralight, and uh, the outfit in Germany now has gotten seriously into the, uh, the light sport airplane. It's got actually. I guess you could say three metal, three models: the metal concept, which is their first metal airplane, uh, and in a couple of versions of the CT, which is the all composite cantilevered wing LSA that's sold really well here in the states. Uh, but they're planning something that they call right now, at least, the C4, mm-hmm. uh, and they're going to be opening up a survey for. Uh, Pilots to uh, participate in, uh, not until uh, March, but the uh, the survey will let pilots give their input. Uh, I'm sure they'll be taking input down at Sun and Fun uh, next month, and they hope to freeze the design by Sun and Fun of 2012. Oh, so this is way off in the future. I, I thought they were further along in this. Uh, well, uh, no. No. They, okay. it, they, they, they just kind of came out and said that they're going to be uh, showing a, a proof of concept model at uh, Aero Friedrichshafen in uh, in Germany in April, and uh, they're, they're based in Europe. They uh, that that's their home market. Uh, they're going to roll out from there. They were, if I remember right, eighteen to twenty four months from when we knew they were working on the metal concept, the NC, 
and when they got ASTM compliance. Uh, so, you know, a couple of years is not bad for a scratch clean sheet yeah. airplane. No, it's not. It's it's reasonable. It's just I thought they had already started that process. And uh, But if they're just taking... I'm sure that they've already started some preliminary work and they're looking for the market to help them define what details and features and uh, how much performance is important to them and what their price point's going to be, where the comfort zone might be. Yeah. If this is going to take a full type certificate. Right. And and obviously, four seats, this is not an LSA. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This uh, is a... Four seats, it's not an LSA. Uh, it is not eligible for ASTM compliance uh, uh, approval. Uh, it's going to have to go full FAR 23 uh, approval here in the States. Uh, and interestingly, flight design seems to be working on getting regular FAA type certificates for the CTLS and the, and the MC at the same time. What, Those are airplanes are already selling. Right. So. The CTLS is the light, the, the light sport aircraft. What, what would that mean? Would that mean that it's? I don't know what that would mean. It's still LSA. Is it more than an LSA? No, you could fly it uh, in parameters that exceed LSA specs. Right. Of course. Yeah. So you can fly it after dark. Well, you no. Wait a minute. Dark, See, that's what I mean. No, you, you and I can fly, fly it after faster, dark anyways. Faster than 120 knots. But it's not supposed to be able to fly faster than 120 it, knots. Maybe if yeah. you have an upgraded prop or engine or well, but then or, it's not. Then or it's or clearly an, not. Or an STC. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, all right. Yeah, and so. some of the LSAs that were Americanized from designs already available in Europe it had to be slowed down a little bit to meet the 100 and, uh, what is it, 118 knot is it 118, 120, I don't, I don't remember was well, it 118 knots, 120 miles an hour I don't know, whatever. it's probably some I thought it was, 138 miles an hour yeah, I thought it was in uh, yeah. 120 knots and something in miles per hour this is actually a little bit of a controversy, right? there's a handful of uh, so-called LSAs that have kind of fudged the specs a little bit in order to qualify am I right about that? I don't know that that's they, been they proven. Fetched them well. so much as they modified the airplane slightly right. to make it work when it could exceed those parameters left in its original configuration. Didn't, didn't we see an LSA? Uh, this we talked about on the podcast a long time ago. It had been like a year ago. I want to think it was a Leica Cub of something like that, and it had a monster engine yeah, in it for its size. And and they did some weird deal where where you could run it at full power on climb out, but then you had to go to fifty percent power at cruise for some reason that was basically boiled down to to keep it from going faster than well, 100. And that could well be. I know at, at, at Sebring, for example, I saw a, uh, a Cub clone that uh, had a 180 Lycoming in it. And on paper, oh, this is a Super Cub clone, excuse me. On paper, a Super Club clone with 180 should be able to top 120 without a whole lot of issues. Mm -hmm. But yeah. um, obviously it can't do that and maintain LSA certification. But it was it was it was certificate or was placarded anyway. Light sport. Yeah, yeah. I, I've heard rumors. I've heard sort of a buzz that there's, well, a, there's some concern in the industry. Th there's been talk sporadic uh, of you know this airplane, that airplane. It's too clean for the horsepower. It's got to be able to exceed 120 knots or again whatever that value, that magic value. Got to not be able to exceed. It, it, well, it, no, it's it's got to just in its present. Oh form. right, yeah. How, yeah. how can they possibly say that that airplane? Uh, uh, won't go any faster than 120 knots. And, and the rule doesn't require them to say it won't go faster. Right. The rule requires them to say that they've got to be specified at operating limitations uh -huh. that don't exceed. Right. 
Right. And that means that they can, under the under the, the regulations where they set up, they can say, okay, yeah, it's a 115-horsepower engine. We're going to redline it so you only can use 100. Right. You do more than that, you're exceeding the limitations of the airplane. And yeah, that's okay. how they get to- I'm shaking my head at the idea well, of putting an artificial red line on the tack. I mean, it's like well, the red line should mean the same red thing. Red lines are artificial to begin with. John. Are they? Yeah, the red yeah, line doesn't well, doesn't speak to the engine's ability to not fly apart. Let's let's no. let's discuss um, on, on a tachometer. Well, red, red lines do mean something. Um, and uh, you know, kind of depends on what instrument it is we're talking about has the red line on it. Airspeed indicator, you don't want to go. To, you don't want to go near the red line. Right. Um, um, oil temp or cylinder head temp, same thing. Uh, but uh, a tachometer often will have you know yellow ranges in it that are to be avoided for for uh, uh, vibration issues or or some other kinds of issues that have been identified with the prop engine and an airframe combination. But uh, if if the red line, you know, I'd like to know more about why the red line is on the tack. Let's put it that way. Okay. All right. Well, usually the red line is there to specify a maximum horsepower output. At that RPM, this engine produces that much horsepower. So, like the uh, O360 in Lee's uh, uh, Cherokee uh, up there in Delaware, uh, redlined at 2,700 RPM. At 2,700 RPM, it's supposed to produce 180 horsepower, plus 5 minus 0%, I think's the rule. Uh, the engine can turn faster than that, certainly, and it will produce more power at, at a higher RPM when you do that. The problem is that then they will rate it as a 2,000-hour TBO engine. And you'll have other wear issues that come into play. And, of course, the propeller would have to be rated for the higher RPM for the, to be safe for the propeller. But the engine redline is specified based on what they want the horsepower to be and the lifespan of the engine to be. The other limiting issue on with running fixed-pitch propellers is uh, tip speeds on the propellers. That's yeah. that's the reason that the a lot of these things don't turn. There are some versions of the... Uh, 520 series Continentals that are rated at 300 to D, I think, IO 520Ds rated at 300 horsepower, but that engine also turns 2,850 RPM. And, that, and, and at 300 and horses is temporary. Yeah, and that's like temporary. It has like yeah. a five-minute limitation yeah. on that. And um, as, as I recall, I think one of the, I don't, my, my Ballowick is mostly these older airplanes, but I think one of the current production Cessnas, uh, maybe the 182, has actually got a D-rated uh, the engine in that airplane is derated from what the the engine actually makes. It's a 540 Lycoming. That's and a good. I, and I think that a engine, great example. That engine's rated much higher, and they they turn that engine slower, and that gives them better fuel economy numbers and um, and um, lower noise signature, longevity, and, and everything else. And that's a that's a that's a good example of an yeah. engine that you know you tur- you twist it faster will will make the horsepower, but they have chosen well, to derate it. And even better ones, the 172 series that's currently in production. 172s originally had 0300 Continentals. Then they moved to 0320 Lycomings. And on certain versions, you could get a, 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 an 0360, usually making 180 horsepower. When Cessna resumed piston production, tried to say that far enough away from the mic, piston airplane production in Independence in uh, 96, I think it was, 
the 172 came with an o, an IO 360. Uh, like well, with yeah. prop to 2450, I believe it was. Yeah, that, uh, that's yeah, that sounds right. That's mm-hmm. correct. And that made it a 160 horsepower engine in what was would have been uh, 180 horse at 2700. When Cessna introduced the 180 horse version of it, what did they have to do? Repitch, uh, put Very a different little. pitch prop on there, change the instruments, and they were good to go. Right. Yeah. Well, so, so you know, the red line is there because they set a limitation on it right. between the engine, the prop, and the airframe maker. Uh, and lowering the red line on some of these airplanes, repitching the prop to make them turn slower, uh, would seem like a legitimate way to keep at the speed limit. It'd also be an invitation to screw around with the prop, but then the airplane's out of compliance. Well, there's that, and, of course, you know, then you can always just get it in cruise and push the nose down if you want to get above 120. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Moving on, let's see here. Uh, so in the continuing saga of the uh, oh God, the secret olive farm. I, I, I'm never going to buy another olive as long as I live. <laughs> I just wanted to mention that... Uh, so not, even, not even in a martini. Support continues to grow for uh, the balloonists and other aviation uh, uh, enthusiasts who, uh, who want to operate near this, uh, this secret olive farm in... Uh, How do you decide we pronounce this, David? Coacula? Emmet. No, no. Oh. What? Coachella Valley? Coyoga, isn't it? No, no. Coachella is how it's Coach, spelled. It's, yeah, I thought it was Coachella. It's Coachella? California. Yeah, yeah in Southern California, near Palm Springs. Yep, um, I know the area well. So now, uh, and, and uh, odd bedfellows here, I have to tell you. First the, lawyer, first, the good guy lawyers appeared on the scene, and that was good, all right? And now the El Dorado Polo Club has gotten I love the it. Yeah. I just love it. I know. And uh, they are now fo- hosting a fundraiser. I was going to say hosting a fundraiser. Um, they're hosting a fundraiser for uh, to help pay the uh, incidental. Like, David, last time you talked about the, the lawyer guy was offering his services pro bono, but there are still expenses involved. Well, now the El Dorado Polo Club is holding a fundraiser to help pay for the incidental expenses of these law firms. And uh, so, I mean, it's just like they're piling on out there. And I want to know where I can donate a set of polo balls. <laughs> yeah, so to speak. Well, you have to have a pair first. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I wasn't thinking about taking yours. So okay. Uh, so family podcast, family podcast. All right, here we go. Uh, this is yeah. This is really cool. The El Dorado Polo Club. They're hosting a fundraiser to help pay the legal expenses, incidental expenses, because uh, the lawyers say they're working for free. Uh, and one pest control applicator is also included in this uh, uh, intimidation. I, 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 I think it's the only word for it, by the JCM farming folks. They, they've, uh, now, they've now got a, an aerial applicator involved? Yeah. Well, that's stupid. Didn't want him spraying anywhere near there where he might see in. Yeah, I know. This is a classic example. I saw uh, this. Is, uh, some people refer to this as the Streisand effect. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Right. This is the Streisand effect. Barbara Streisand, uh, a number of years ago, someone um, was taking aerial photographs of the uh, the area around her home. Not, a, not specifically of her home. The, the entire coast. Uh, actually, yeah, the they entire were coast. photographing the entire length right. of the right. Pacific coast. And so they happened to get an aerial picture of Barbara Streisand's home. 
home, all right, she went a little ballistic on the whole thing because she felt it was an invasion of her privacy and filed a lawsuit to get these pictures taken off the Internet or stopped being published or whatever it was. And the, uh, and the result of her lawsuit was that they became published even more than they ever would have, exactly. right? And she lost in court. Too. Yeah, and plus she lost the, you know, the whole thing was thrown out anyways. But, but whether or not she won or not, the fact is that the pictures got even more published because she made a deal out of it. And the same thing is happening to the uh, secret olive farmers um, is that uh, the, the, pic, the article we're looking at here in AvWeb um, once again has an aerial picture of the olive farm. So uh, Once again. Uh, there we go. Anyways. Yeah, the aerial app- in the neighborhood of the El Dorado Polo Club, they will be having tethered balloon rides. So, well, yeah. they really? That's great. But tethered. Oh, oh tethered. tethered. Well, we'll get there. Um, the crop duster ought to just load up with something that kills our olives. <laughs> no, 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 no. Vermouth. Vermouth, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there will be a pint of martinis headed to the way of Jeb Burnside. That's yeah. Jeb, J-E-B. So uh, let's see now. And uh, uh, so the FAA did step in in this story now. This is a different story. Um, Let's see if I got this right. Riverside County, California, um, tried to ban glider operations out of what? One particular airport? David, this is your story. Tell us what's going on here. Yeah, Hemet Ryan Ryan Airport, uh, Riverside County. uh, Yeah. See, this is what I'm saying. Here's another case where the FAA stepped in and straightened things out. But yeah, they they basically uh, prohibited non-motorized glider departures from runway five two three. Uh, they had a grass strip that they uh, glider pilots have been using for years there. Uh, it's a public airport. It's accepted public money, FAA money, under the airport uh, uh, improvement program. That brings with it certain responsibilities, the grants assurance agreement that says that you can't discriminate against operators except on the basis of operational limitations, like if your runway won't handle a 747 weight, you're allowed to say no 747s. It, it, it could be long enough, but not built heavy enough to hold the weight. Right. So, right. Uh, in this case, they were just saying, nope, you can't apply here. And the FAA went, uh-uh-uh, can't do that. Yeah. Uh, the FAA stays fairly busy with this kind of nonsense around the country. Keep, keep, not, in, keep one I'm, thing in mind here, though, too. Um, the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm, trying to look, I'm looking here in the, um, in the article. The, one of the reasons, or perhaps the reason, um, the uh, FAA's overturned this is because the airport accepted federal funds. Is right. That, is that not correct? I think yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... If it was a private airport, or not, not, not funded by the FAA, the ruling might be different. That's absolutely correct. Right. Well, uh, yeah. It was a private airport. Yeah, I don't know. I was going to be cynical want. here for a second. If it was a private airport and the town didn't like it, they'd try and shut it down altogether. Well, Forget yeah, gliders. Yeah. There's, there are two private airports that I know of uh, within 20-minute drive of where I'm sitting uh, that t- cater only to sailplanes, motorized gliders, and ultralights. Sure. Mm-hmm. They are not open to normal FAR 23 traffic, uh, motorized traffic at least, except for their tow planes. Just goes to show there's no pleasing some people. They don't like airplane noise, and obviously they don't like airplanes that don't make noise. I know, huh? So yeah. there you go. 
They're probably afraid. Well, you know that wish can be really irritating uh, within about three feet of you. Otherwise, yeah. you can't bloody hear the. Yeah. Hey, David, it's been a while since we found an aircraft that we wondered if even you would fly. Um, but uh, we came across this uh, this interesting hot air balloon rig. Um, I think the I think oh, it's the called Skyhopper? Skyhoppers. Now, I, I, on one level, I don't think this is all that unusual. I think I've seen this or something like it. Um, describe it for us. Been around for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cloud is, hopper balloons, they call them. Skyhoppers from Cameron balloons is right. their, their, their name. Uh, it, is a, it is a rig suspended with a burner, suspended below the envelope. It's got a burner and a little aluminum, aircraft aluminum structure and a seat. And a harness, no basket. Right, no basket. You're just hanging. Main tank straps on the back. Uh, you take off and land on your feet. Uh, pack it up, put it in the trunk, and go home. Yeah. Now my favorite part from it is uh, the the picture shows, and I don't know if this is integral to the frame or not, but the guy has like this little lap board, you know, with his chart and his uh, handheld radio, or I don't know, maybe it's a GPS, um, and. Uh, I don't know if that, but it doesn't show it in the other other angle, so I guess it's not part of the actual uh, frame of this thing. That would be the cool part. See if it had this little little flip out, tra- this little uh, tray, you know, sort of like a, you know, like in, when you're in the airlines. You, you know, know, you, could, you, could, you could do your what a great scheduling. product idea. They could like invent the kneeboard. I know, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, cool. Okay, I, I, I'm 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 missing something here. Um, this is a hot air balloon, right? Yeah, apparently. Okay, what's new or innovative about this? Uh. You're just hanging underneath it with no basket. Well, I don't know. I'm not too sure because out in my car, I've actually got a picture that I, I shot it. of one of these at Sun and Fun 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So, They're not new. Yeah. Uh, I and, just and, thought it was the, the resurgence in the whole idea, uh, particularly under LSA rules and with the uh, chair balloonist, the, the cluster ballooning. Well, I was just going to say, this is just, another, this is just a high-tech lawn chair. Except with the benefit of not... Having to use helium. Well, that's Which yeah, yeah. Really expensive. Twenty two. That puppy yeah, one. <laughs> that's my favorite part of the balloon guy. Yeah, right. Yeah, the guy lost his. The guy lost his pellet gun. <laughs> Oops. Hey, listen. We we made fun of that guy before before he flew last summer, and we're making fun of him now. But it was pretty cool. The, oh yeah. The cluster balloon guy. Oh yeah. He, he you know. Well, and, I mean, you talk about the guy that years ago I interviewed the guy that made it uh, made it notorious. Yeah, you, the guy that did it with a Sears industrial quality lawn chair uh, and a bunch of heavy duty balloons and a tank of helium, uh, and that was it, baby, and a and a rope to tie himself in. Yeah. That's serious. That guy, he flew. All, that was the part that amazed me. So we were watching it that afternoon from Oshkosh, and we saw it across the field, and we said, "Okay, that is kind of cool." And woke up in the middle of the night and looked at my computer and realized that he was like out over the middle of Lake Michigan. All right, and uh, he was seriously. And the wind had stalled on him or something like that. Yeah, yeah. he was going night over Lake Michigan. He was going, anyways. Oh, and he made it all the way across. Oh, yeah. I know. He made it all the way across, and uh, and uh, over to the UP, and yep. Well, no, I don't think he made it into the UP. He made it into the, the mitt of the glove, main, the, the main part of Michigan. He wasn't in the... The UP is way up north there, up north well, of... Well, he was, he, he was... I guess you're right. Yeah. He, he was north of uh, Grand Rapids. Yeah. Yeah. Impressive stuff. We're going to continue to make fun of him, though, because it's kind of weird. Because we can. Yeah, right. Wait, ready to flash system starting at 19,000. Yeah. 
David, you called our attention to the uh, throughthefence.org website. You called our attention to a particular story, which I'm going to ask you about in a second. But first of all, um, this is Dr. Blue, isn't it? Right. Throughthefence.org is... Uh, is uh, Brent Blue. Brent Blue, um, uh, a good buddy of... Well, a good buddy of you guys for some time now. Mm-hmm. I know him through Oshkosh. And uh, um, what's throughthefence.org all about? What's the website all about? Do you know? Can you tell me? Uh, yeah. The... Basically, it comes down to a change in the airport's handbook that the FAA uh, made a couple of years ago uh, when they expanded it huge and added a whole lot of uh, superfluous nonsense. One of the things that they added was a uh, a prohibition on approving airports for grants if they had a residential through-the-fence community adjacent to the airport and an open fence agreement where the people that live there could use the public airport. Now, there are quite a, quite a number of these around the country. Uh, and the FAA was all, yeah, well, the ones that are there are there, but we may not remove new grants for them. Uh, and we don't want to see any new ones go up. Well, the people that live on some of these or use some of these or have friends or might want to fly to, they kind of got their backs up and, and asked uh, you know the the valid question on what basis? Yeah. Oh, incompatibility. The FAA said. Yeah, I know. Uh, non-aviation uses. This is this is where they stepped on themselves. Non-aviation uses uh, are, are are not conducive to the best use of the airport and the uh, federal improvement funds, and we can't have them. Uh, except that they wanted to make like a business through the fence operation was somehow uh, inherently safer, better, uh, didn't create the problems that the residentials supposedly, uh, well, they actually never said they were causing any problems. They just said, it's a safety problem and it interferes with development. Just take our word for it and go away. We're the FAA. We know what's best. Yeah, right. So So, so the House House, uh, Transportation uh, Leadership uh, Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure inserted language into the currently pending FAA reauthorization uh, bill, language that uh, basically prohibits the FAA from treating airports with residential through the fence operations any differently than uh, business or an airport with no through the fence operation. Really? Do we, do we have any hope that this is going to make a difference? Uh, yeah, yeah, we've got hope. Uh, if it survives the difference with the Senate version of the bill, which I, if it hadn't passed, it's near passing, uh, because the bills differ in in several areas. Uh, so when they go to reconcile that, this needs to survive that conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And it become one of the latest mandates to the FAA over what it can and can't do in the eyes of yeah, Congress. Yeah, like. The driver's license will work fine as a picture, right? Yeah, why don't we fix that next? Yeah, right. So, well, no, I'm all in favor of this. This is great because, you know, having these, you know, making airports more friendly this places is, is... This is well done. Um, the website's extremely well done, for example, and uh, looks like they're making some real progress here. Hats off to Brent. I, I, uh, I'm very impressed. Yeah, folks should take a look at this. This is uh, throughthefence.org, um, just like it's, it's spelled just like it sounds, throughthefence.org. 
And uh, a lot of good information here about these, uh, this legislation and about through-the-fence issues around the country. Um, and, oh, by the way, they are inviting people to, to uh, make donations to help support the whole operation. So uh, you might want to consider doing that as well. We do, too. Yeah. Skip a Starbucks cup and chip them the bunny. Yeah, there you go. Let's see now. What's next? Uh, uh, so, oh, David, so you're all, all excited about the fact that someone has proposed to actually find money to pay for all this next-gen equipment, right? What's this all about? Is this to pay for Sky Blue or uh, JetBlue's uh, uh, ADSB equipment? No, that's already been paid for. Yeah. Yeah, right. that's already done. Oh, this uh, is to pay for Jeb's ADSB equipment. Yes, thank you. Yeah, thank okay. You. All right. Yeah, I'll- this is basically a, a, a member of Congress uh, proposing uh, a modification to the same FAA reauthorization bill we were just talking about that would uh, authorize the FAA to issue grants of up to 20% of the cost of equipping aircraft for ADSB out and to help arrange uh, uh, special equipment finance loan guarantees for the remaining 80% balance of the cost. Right. Uh, and will this apply to we mere mortal Part 91 flyers or... Well, that that remains to be seen, uh, but I have a feeling that it's pretty much going to have to, uh, if it applies to any part of GA at all, it's going to have to apply to everybody. Uh, then it'll come down to how much money is available to start this, if any, and uh, how they set up qualifying for it. I mean, equipping a whole bunch of us, uh, you could probably equip a couple of dozen of us for what it would cost to equip one Part 25 business aircraft. Well, let's, let's not get... Um, what was the line from... Never mind. I can't repeat that. There's some line from the movie. Let's not... Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, let's not start All right. uh, 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 blanking yeah. each other off right now. <laughs> All you know, right. Uh, uh, this is just a, a proposed amendment or something like that. And... Uh, um, you know, more power to him, and I'm all in favor of it, but I'm not holding my breath for this to be enacted and me, me getting a, a check from the FAA that I can give to my avionics shop. Okay. No, uh, and, and that's where the, you know, it, at first it's got to survive, and I would rate that right now as somewhere better than a snowball in hell, <laughs> uh, but not better than an ice cube in an olive Martini. In Coachella, California. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thank you, Lee. Yeah. So let's see now. So, oh, so, you know, we've been, we've been worrying for years now about the whole question of what happens when, uh, when 100 low lead goes away. But uh, we don't have to worry anymore. It's all taken care of because the federal government has created a committee. And, uh, yeah, another aviation rulemaking committee. Yeah, which, what's, this, what's going on here? Which one of you guys wants to explain this to me? I'll let David explain it, and then I'll take it apart. Okay, David, what, what's the committee? <laughs> no, the, your uh, turn. You go first. This who time. is this, the, the SecDOT, or, or was this uh, FAA admin? This is FAA. Uh, FAA. All right, they created a committee. What to do what, David? Let Jeb go first. Well, Jeb, Jeb, well, Jeb no, wants I'll, to be this. I'll, Jeb. Go, I'll go first. I'll, I, yeah, I want to be the, 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 the bad guy here. Um, an aviation rulemaking committee is a, uh, um, a group established by the FAA, uh, generally comprised of trade association types, uh, FAA types, uh, industry types, um, 
and they get together and um, sometimes over <clears throat> lengthy periods of time to um, hash out um, some new regulatory challenge the FAA is presented with, but wants a consensus on before it moves to a rulemaking phase. And the object of the rulemaking committee is essentially to, to derive a consensus, uh, at least you know, a 51% uh, consensus, so that it can try to move forward on, on some policy level. Um, what Babbitt, Administrator Babbitt has done is establish an aviation rulemaking committee um, to consider, um, as I understand it, 100 low leads replacement. Is that correct? Uh, I don't know. That's what I'm asking yeah, you. That's, that's, Dave, yeah, David. That's okay, the goal. Okay. All right. Um, here's the problem with that. We already have a, pro a policy and a protocol within the FAA for approvals of fuel. I don't recall the exact AC number or, or the exact uh, uh, document, uh, but it exists, and it's there. And it says that, that someone who wants to uh, um, get FAA approval for a fuel has to follow these steps. The problem is the FAA is not doing what the AC says. They haven't been doing it now for a couple of years. Um, GAMI, General Aviation Modification, Inc., out in Ada, Oklahoma, has been developing, in, uh, um, just as SWIFT has been developed, SWIFT fuels have, has been developing an alternative unleaded uh, um, fuel that complies with all the 100 low lead specs. Um, both of these fuels basically do that right now. Mm -hmm. okay? The problem is that um, the FAA is not following its own long-established policy on approving and accepting these fuels. Instead, they're going to go make this aviation rulemaking committee. They've created this aviation rulemaking committee, or ARC, and uh, they're going to throw this whole hot potato over to the ARC. Now, I don't understand why uh, that's necessary. First of all, there is a, a longstanding standard developed by the ASTM, mm -hmm. that, and, and, uh, and SAE is also a part of this, I believe, that has um, defined what 100 low lead fuel is. And it meets you know, these vapor tests, it has this volatility, it has this octane under these conditions, yada, yada, yada. Um, and we already have some fuels. I think Swift fuel is one of them, and I think the GAMI fuel is another one. Um, I think it's G100UL is what the GAMI fuel is called. Um, these work, they've been tested. Um, the FAA is not following its own policies in, in uh, moving forward to, to get these fuels into widespread use. Instead, they're passing the buck. Now, I don't know what that tells us, except that uh, someone smells some money in there somewhere. Okay. I was going to say, the cynic in me would, would say that, gee, there's got to be somebody who's got a dog in this fight that's going to make a lot of money off of it. Uh, I'm not really versant with <clears throat> current issue aviation fuels, but I, I'm, I'm a long-time car guy and just general gearhead and everything else, and uh, I recall reading a story once in Flying Magazine, I interviewed a guy that was in charge of the aircraft disposition yard at Kingman, Arizona, 1947, after World War II. And uh, they, one of the things they did with all the aircraft that were taken there, they filled them with uh, fuel. And he said he was buying a, a brand called White Lantern uh, fuel, and filling up all the aircraft that were stored there before they started breaking them apart. 
and that fuel was unleaded, and it was over 100 octane. And I used to run, I used to have a, I had a 1971 BMW back in the day when I was running, I was working for a BMW dealer, and um, that airplane, that car had 9.8 to 1 compression from the factory, required premium fuel, and I ran nothing in that but Sunoco 260, which was leaded, but then I was also running um, over 100 octane uh, Amico fuel at that time was absolutely unleaded. That was one of their uh, marketing ploys was that it, it ran cleaner in the engines and so forth, and that's all true. Uh, the lead thing was um, uh, promoted by the Ethel Corporation. They had headquarters at one point in Richmond, Virginia, and there are, there are lots of other alternatives to, right. to uh, octane enhancement and so forth other than lead. Uh, and and the, the problem currently with the lead when they mandated removing lead from all the automotive fuels and everything else, even trace amounts of it will poison catalytic converters and automobiles. And the, the big issue now is is that they, they have to have almost two separate distri- distribution systems to handle 100 low lead because of contamination. They've got to have dedicated tankers. They've got to flush the pipelines after they're used and everything else. It's definitely going to go away. It's just a question of what's going what's to replace it. Yeah. David. Yeah. And Jeb, Jeb's right on just about everything he talked about here, uh, it has a, it, just it has a a short lifetime uh, available to it. The administrator set the term at six months, quote unquote, unless extended or ended sooner. This is the committee uh, has this limited. Yeah, lifetime. the committee. Yeah, uh, and there are other bodies that are meeting on this, uh, but at the end of the day, these are the guys that are going to not only approve the fuels, which they've got the standards to do, like Jeb, Jeb said, but also uh, be in the pipeline and the knowledge pipeline about testing these in the different engines and configurations and fuel systems that are represented by the fleet that we've got now. And, you know, if it, if it makes them all feel better, uh there's going to be production issues, distribution issues. I mean, unless this stuff's compatible with automotive unleaded, then we continue to suffer with the same transportation and distribution problem that uh, Lee was just talking about. Well, That'll add cost to it. We, we are, uh, well, it'd be lovely on. if it was something compatible with everything else. Hang on a second, so, Dave. Dave, we, yeah. already, we already have a separate distribution system. Why not just use it? Well, I... I, I agree. We can just use it and continue right. to use it. That'll be a continued extra cost that we bear. Yeah, I think the goal is to so not have an extra distribution. Yeah. with the existing well, system and yeah. not require all this separate... Uh, that, that'd, be, that'd be nice, but if, if, if someone's thinking that the fuel's not going to cost more in the long run, they're smoking something. Oh, I don't... I, I'm not questioning that it's going to cost more in the long run. I'm, I'm just saying if there's a way to keep additional transportation and handling costs... To being tacked on it because it requires a special system, that would be a break for all of us. Yeah, I don't. I don't disagree. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know. It's, it's you I, know. I mean, like it's I'll, like Jeb. I'll, I'll, I'll research. I'll talk to George next week, this week, and, and research this a little bit and and get some specifics on some of this and, and maybe even get his temperature on this whole. Yeah, thing George is your buddy at Gammy. Right? <clears throat> well, he's not my buddy. He's certainly a friend. Uh, George Brawley is the guy. Well, he's he's. 
yeah, he's the engineer uh, guy okay, at, at right. Gammy. Yep. And uh, um, he takes my phone call, so that's you know that's all good. Well, he can't be all that important then. Well, well, you know, uh, I've got him. I've got him snookered. Yeah, okay. But uh, yeah, no, I'd like to hear what he has yeah, to say about I, I this. I would too, yeah. and, and I'd like to hear some more detail. It's been a while since I talked to him on this topic, so I'll, yeah. I'll do that. Okay. But uh, at the end of the day, this is the kind of stuff the Fed does when it's faced with uh, an issue that it can't figure out how to move in one direction, one cohesive direction. And, and that's no guarantee that this committee will wind up with a direction for everybody to cohesively move. Yeah. Lee, you were going to say something. It's all kind of interesting to me because uh, two years ago I had a conversation with the, uh, I don't know if he's still working for him or not, and I'm, I've been sitting here trying to think of his last name. His first name is Ray, a factory rep for Lycoming that goes around and does training seminars and so forth. And some of you guys may have actually seen him at um, – Oshkosh, your son and fun, I have uh, given you know seminars on engines and stuff, and he basically told us two years ago that Lycoming for sure, and, and he said he couldn't speak for Continental, but then I talked to someone else that did have some connection at Continental, said they are certifying, testing and certifying all of their current production to run on 93 UL. And uh, apparently that's the standard in Europe, and, and this is all kind of interesting to me that here two years down the road, I thought that the 93UL was going to be a done deal, and that was basically what everybody was going to. So well, the, the problem is is um, some of their <clears> – <throat> I don't know about Lycoming. Um, um, some of, of TCM's products, at least their legacy products, uh, won't run on 93UL. Yeah, because of compression ratios exactly. and detonation exactly. problems and that kind of thing. Exactly. So it's also going to make interesting for the, the few Warbird guys that are still running around, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and some of those already require additives to right. yeah. run. Like, and, and or reduce power settings. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I don't know if I really want to get into this last one before we uh, start to wrap this thing up. There's just a bunch of stories. that We talked a few minutes ago about uh, uh, the feds coming up with some money to pay for next-gen next equipment. Um, there's been a lot of stories in the news over the last couple of weeks um, as the U.S. Congress tries to finally get an FAA reauthorization passed. And I, I, I confess I've kind of lost track of it all. I've lost the flick on this, too. Yeah, I, I can't quite – every day – or not every day, but every couple of days is another story about this has been cut or this has been added and they've done this. And, you know, I've got, we've got a couple of stories on the list here. There's a headline here of our stories. Um, let's see. You now we've got House Cuts AIP Funding Leaves PFC Cap. All right. What does that mean? Can someone explain It means the airlines want another round. Yeah. That, what's AIP funding? Airport Improvement Program. Okay. And what's PFC Cap? Passenger facility charge. Oh, okay. All right. So basically, there's there's um, the House has decided to artificially limit airport funding for the next um, uh, cycle in the uh, um, in the uh, reauthorization bill by reducing overall airport improvement program funding and leaves in place a passenger facility charge cap. The PFC is levied by airports. Um, at which commercial service is provided uh, to help with the infrastructure of the airport itself. Okay. And then it also referred the same story. By the way, this is a story from AviationWeek.com. Also referred to the Essential Air Services pro uh-huh. Air Service Program um, is apparently uh, yes, this, the long abused EAS. Yeah. What, so what is this exactly, David? It, it's a federal guarantee to small airlines to provide minimal service to a lot of small communities. It's basically, uh, yeah, it's basically a, uh, um, a support 
program, financial support program. Oh, right. Okay. For for ensuring uh, air service to smaller communities that the economics would not otherwise work for. All right. For. So this version of the bill it's, has it's, has that cut. The EAS has grown. This they created EAS in the sunset years of uh, airline regulation. Right. Because they already knew the airlines were going to be dumping a lot of markets. Right. Okay. Uh, over the years, the airlines have dumped a lot more markets, and there have been a lot more EAS cities added to it. So it's gotten a lot more expensive than it used to be. All right. And so this now this story is apparently about the House version of the bill. Then, yeah. <laughs> then we're seeing another story here that says Senate rejects bid to cut spending in air bill. Now, is this a whole different reference, or is this referring to the how, you know, House? We have a bicameral legislature. Yeah, I understand that part. Okay. Okay, we have a House. We have a Senate. Yeah. And the House has done X. The Senate has done Y, which is not the same as X. Right. Okay. And, and, and when the House actually passes its bill, and then the Senate apparently has already passed its, um, then someone's going to have to blink before there can be a bill that goes to the president. Right. So is this par for the course, or is this j- – or are, are you know, I mean, I yep. was kind of under the impression that we were getting close to having an FAA re- reauthorization. We are. It's just not. Basically, they'll. They'll. It's this numbers issue more than anything right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the closest we've been in five years. Yeah. They're yeah. about. Yeah, but that's kind of faint praise. Come on, it's. Yeah. Well, it is. The fact that both chambers have voted out their versions is is is. That hasn't happened in five years. Yeah. One or the other, but never both at the same time. Yeah, okay. So what should, what's the takeaway from all this stuff? So you guys think we're closer. You think it's, we're, we're doing okay. Oh, it'll take another continuing resolution probably before the, 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 yeah. the, the two different versions will get worked out in what they call a conference committee. Uh, during the conference committee, both sides are likely to have to blank some. Uh, and then, however they blank is going to have to pass muster with the White House. After they blank and agree on a version, it's got to go back to both chambers for another up or down vote. Yeah. Okay. It goes and that's, that's, so. At this level, that's generally a rubber stamp. And, and, and sort of, you know, looming over all of this is some sort of talk about how that we're not going to even get a U.S., a full you know, nationwide budget, and they're going to suspend the government. Oh, they're going to shut down the government on, on, on or about March 4. Okay. That's the day I'm supposed to travel home. Will the air traffic controls be working? Yeah. All right. Probably. Hopefully. All right. We'll, we'll may, send your may. name up ahead and make sure that they keep an eye on it. That yeah. could go either way. I don't know. Shout outs. There's one one could only hope that the TSA would stay home that day. <laughs> <laughs> Shout outs. Let's see now. we got a couple of little items here. Uh, the first one that I want to just uh, – uh, a fun little thread in the uh, UCAP forums that I wanted to call attention to here, um, where they were just talking about uh, flying small airplanes and what you can, you know, have fun with them. And um, our good friend Champ Guy uh, has a great post in here uh, where he, he refers to, uh, he says, in Aronka land among Aronka tears, which I just thought that was a, uh, a great phrase. I like Aronka tears. And uh, he says, it's dangerous to suggest that champs are faster than chiefs, even though we all know they are. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, he has a lot of fun with it. They're skinnier. They're skinnier than chiefs. Is that what it is? Okay. Uh, Mostly, yeah. Yeah. So, 
more fun going on. That's all I'm going to say. There's a lot going on in the forums, and everybody, anybody who's at all interested in uh, reading online conversation should check out the UCAP forums. Um, and that's just one of the, yeah. the fun things that's going on in there. What else we got in the way of shout-outs here? Uh, David, you got anything you want to talk about? Oh, I was going to send a shout-out to our old buddy Alan Kleppmeyer, uh, who is uh, filling in for James Fallows on a uh, has oh, a right. block in the Atlantic. Yeah, he he was he he's a guest columnist on at the Atlantic website, right? Yes, and he kind of dissected uh, the uh, piece that Jeff Goldberg did, kind of slamming avi- general aviation as being a danger to mankind. Uh, uh, you know, Mr. Fallows did it in his own uh, kinder, gentler way, and pointed out because the guys are colleagues and friends, they just share different perspectives. Uh, Alan was uh, easier on him than I, I would have hoped, but still did a nice job of tab dancing on his head a little bit. So thank you, Alan. Yeah. Alan's also been in the news recently um, that uh, they're really making great progress kicking off the uh, the factory up there in uh, Brunswick, Can- uh, Brunswick, Maine. I was going to say Brunswick, Canada. Brunswick, uh, Maine. The uh, And I'm blanking on the name of the airplane. What's the name of the airplane? Uh, Kestrel. The Kestrel. Thank you. Yes, that's right. Um so uh, that's going to be pretty cool as they continue to make progress with uh, designing, uh, redesigning that new airplane and then building them up there in Maine. That'll be pretty cool. Yeah, they cool. just had the ceremony handing over the airport to the local community. Yeah. Uh, a couple yeah. of weeks. So. A great. That's going to be a, a, an awesome destination. I mean, there's a lot of airports up there along the coast, but uh, that's definitely a great addition to them. It's just a spectacular. There were a couple of pictures, aerial shots of Brunswick Naval Air Station, um, and you just get to see how, you know, the. The uh, I mean literally the rock bound coast of Maine you know with all these little that's that's in New England right yeah it's up there in the it, north it gets it gets cold, gets cold up there yeah a couple months of the year it's true so don't go there then but uh, <laughs> Alan, we need to maybe talk to Alan well you know Alan's really upfront about the whole subject he's one of the few guys who would in fact embrace building his factory in Maine because Maine is warmer than what he's used to. You know? that's just yeah. It gets less snow than Duluth. Yeah, he's, he comes from Duluth, where it gets really cold. That's just wrong. Yeah, I know. He considers Maine to be like you know the tropics. So <laughs> we have to have a long chat. Yeah, we have to have an intervention. Uh huh. David, I'm going to steal one of your uh, shoutouts here and please, uh, please. steal them both. Um, and uh, acknowledge that uh, one of my favorites, the Alton Bay Ice Runway. Uh, did not manage to get it together this year, which is kind of sad. Um, they uh, uh, the, is that the one in New York. Uh, this is up in uh, on Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire. Oh, Winnipesaukee. Yeah, and uh, each year uh, they uh, there's a, a group of of locals up there that uh, plow a runway uh, onto the ice, and uh, it's charted in the uh, summertime as a seaplane base. Although oddly, is there's very little, if any, seaplane activity there. Um, but uh, in the wintertime, it becomes a, uh, a uh, ter- I don't know if you want to call it a terrestrial airport. A, uh, no, it's a seaplane base with hard water. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, uh, but, of course, it requires a lot of, uh, of upkeep in terms of plowing the snow and, and keeping it clear and, and, uh, and assessing the quality of the ice. It's also uh, provided entertainment. 
<clears throat> yes, there's the some past. great videos on there's the some uh, great videos of yeah. people attempting. Yeah, because people land. don't just bring ski planes in there; they land on their wheels. Oh, they absolutely land on their wheels, yes. and uh, and it looks it's uh, you know, and occasionally use snowbanks as kind of bumpers, as <laughs> guideposts. Yeah. As, yeah, well, no, I saw yeah, I saw somebody drive go, just like land through a snowbank one time. It was a little scary, actually. Turned out to be a non-event, but uh, anyways, the ice, uh, the conditions up there. Uh, we've had just an odd winter in terms of lots of snow and and then there was rain in the middle and it just uh, the the upshot is that the uh, the ice didn't freeze in the right way to provide the right kind of base um, and surface and as a result they weren't able to uh, plow the runway this year so apparently the uh, Alton Bay ice runway did not happen this year or at least it's been closed for the rest of the season that's too yeah bad. they they were saying they were having to shut it down prematurely that yeah. it had been. But then they had snow followed by rain and it made it dangerous to trust the ice. Right. Uh, try to plow. It's, uh, yeah, the it's surface re- wasn't going to be all that attractive if they, did, if they were able to keep it away. Yeah. It's too bad on many levels, one of which is that the Alton Bay community is a, is a community that genuinely recognizes the value of having a little GA airport in there um, because it brings tourists into the area in the wintertime, which is not normally their big, their big season. And uh, you know they've been very supportive of having a, having an airport um, in the winter. <laughs> Jeb's laughing. What's the matter? I just something about winter. Something about being a tourist in winter in New Hampshire, Maine, Massachusetts, is just antithetical. No, well, you know, it's not my kind of it's not my kind of uh, of, uh, of recreational activities. But you know, you go up there and there's the there's snowmobiling and there's ice fishing and there's uh, you know cross country skiing. Go to Colorado to ski. You know, the skiing thing I can get behind. And yeah. I guess the, the snowmobiling too. And, yeah, and, and, uh, and ice skating. I don't know about Alton, uh, Alton uh, Bay, New Hampshire. All, uh, the, the, the town of Alton, they do a, a couple of winter carnivals throughout the uh, winter. So this to is, uh, this is kind of like. Uh, um, uh, the movie uh, Groundhog Day, but without the the female lead. No, no. This is a this is a community that genuinely get, genuinely gets it and supports a general aviation airport as as unusual as it is. All right, and uh, I you know I give them all the credit in the world for for realizing hey, cool. you know that uh, that this is a good thing. And uh, but they couldn't put it together this this year. Didn't work out. Unfortunately, if you ever visited that area, there is no flat ground to create a, a more traditional airport um, anywhere near. Near Alton Bay, you got to go all the way up. Well, there's Laconia, which is up the ways a little ways. But anyways, sorry about that, Alton Bay. You didn't manage to get the uh, runway going this year. But next year is another winter. Sad to say. Um, anyways, enough of that. Uh, David, there's one other here. What do you want? Oh, an airport opening. You want to uh, send a shout out yeah, to this we, new airport? I missed this uh, when it happened back a few months ago, and honestly, didn't know that it was being constructed. But the Atlanta metro area has a new airport called Paulding Northwest Atlanta Airport. It's in Dallas, Georgia. Papa Uniform India is the, uh, I'm sorry, Juliet. Get close enough to the screen. Papa Uniform Juliet is the designator. Uh, And uh, they got uh, runway 1331. They got 5,500 feet, an ILS on 31. GPS, WAS GPS approach uh, to uh, to 13. Uh, and it sounds like it might be a little less hectic getting in there than a couple of the other airports that we know about in the Atlanta metro area. Uh, Peachtree, 
DeKalb can be a little bit busy. Wasn't uh, somebody singing the praises of one of those GA airports uh, recently? That in Atlanta? No, 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 no. The one, one of the airport that was the home base for the uh, AOPA convention, or maybe it was MBAA. I'm not sure which. MBAA last year, yeah. It was you, David? You were saying that there was a nice the GA airport that was being used was a was a nice place. Yes, am I remembering this? Yeah, right? yeah. Was it PDK or Charlie Brown? Dave, was it PDK or Charlie Brown? Uh, it was neither. Uh, Lawrenceville? No. Um, Gwinnett County? Yes, thank you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Gwinnett County's kind of grown up over the last, I don't know, couple of decades. Um, you know, new runways, and, and um, um, it's good. It's all good. Yeah, okay. More shout-outs. Jeb, you got anything? I got nothing. You got nothing. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure if Lee even knows what the shout-outs are all about, but uh, anybody you want to say hi to? Anybody you want to... Uh... Hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. Yeah, well, that'd be, that'd be kind of tough. We'd uh, <laughs> have to use uh, the real low-frequency stuff that goes through the ground. But uh, uh, So now, now, not really. <laughs> okay, then, well, that's it. Then we'll put it... Then it's definitely time to stick a fork in this one. Uh, let's see now. Uh, I'll, I'll, thank that's all, folks. Thank you, Lee, for joining us. Yes, it's really I'd been like great. Thank you guys uh, the opportunity. It's great fun. Absolutely. Lee Steichleather is the, the man in black, the satanic mechanic. And uh, I want to see he's just take a, take a drink of his beer. I wanted to ask him a question here. So tell us real quickly your credentials as an aviation guy. You're an AP, IA. How does that all work? AP, IA, um, private pilot, single engine ground. Uh-huh. And, and you do this for a living. So if someone somewhere around America was looking for a mechanic, they might give you a call. <clears throat> Yeah, actually, I, I I freelance. I do I do fortunate that I've got a, a very varied background in you know automotive and, and other mechanical disciplines. But uh, but uh, yeah, certainly the aviation. I I I've gotten to be I think fairly versed in in uh, Beechcraft products. I particularly like Bonanzas and familiar with them and that kind of thing. And but uh, short answer is yes. I mean I I like uh, I've also been fortunate. I've got a good friend and. Tucson, Arizona. His name's Tim Coons, who um, is probably the last of our age that uh, is is a expert on Wright 3350s, and he's working for Evergreen Air Museum right now to move uh, several constellations and uh, PBY. And so I've been very fortunate to spend some time working with him on uh, on some big old recips too, which is uh, something that guys our age aren't aren't able to do much anymore. Because the stuff's all going away along along very much with the knowledge base that, that goes right. along with it. Yeah. So yeah, we should have you back and have you talk about that project a little yeah. bit. That sounds yeah, that sounds that's, like a, that's a very it's a, it's all very interesting stuff. And, and he's really kind of the one of the last of the Mohicans and uh, extremely sharp, very good mechanic. So I guess that's my shout out as well. You know, hi Tim and uh, the people that he works with. Uh, yeah. The, uh, good guys. It's it's all very interesting stuff. Unfortunately, it's all going away. Yeah. So, and if anybody wanted to reach you, they needed your services. Do you have like an email address or a website um, or anything like y- that? Y- yes. Uh, the short answer on the email would be uh, four four five zero one nomad n o m a d. It's all run together at gmail dot com. Great. Terrific. And Dave Higdon is a uh, aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, AEA.net, Avbuyer.com. Uh, do a Google search, roll the dice. And Jeb Burnside is a uh, apparently a civics professor. All right. Uh, 
but is also don't try this at home kids graduate of the georgetown university school of foreign service also a diplomat yeah but uh uh, on an everyday basis as a freelance aviation writer and editor and serve is uh, these days serving as the editor-in-chief of aviation safety magazine jeb where can people find you on the internet AviationSafetyMagazine.com is a good place to start. Uh, JEBurnside.com is the uh, personal website. Uh, AEA.net, occasionally uh, on AvWeb.com. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at JackHodgson.com and AroundTheField.net. Thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Royce Earl and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And finally, don't forget that you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the new improved blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings, web page of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you were going to say something? The only way to get as old as Lee and me is to spend a lot of time in the airplane because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. TTFN. Neville, you have control of the board. Select a category. Disclaimers for 100. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are appearing as this. Neville. What is private individuals? Correct. Select again. Disclaimers for 200. Their comments do not necessarily reflect these. Neville. What is the opinions of the organizations they work for? Yes. Select again. Disclaimers for 300. Anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously this. Neville. What is very general? That's it. Disclaimers for 400. You should always remember your training, consider your situation, and fly this. Neville. What is the aircraft? Yes. Select. Disclaimers for 500. But you knew this. Robert. What's a lineys? No, Wendy. What is the punchline? No, Neville. What is that? Correct, but you knew that. Congratulations, Neville. You have swept the category.